Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Multiphasic transmissions overlapping. It's almost a gibberish. Subspace. Dare to wonder. Dean Haglund, uh, first of all, how are you? You sound sick as hell. Well, let's say I'm fine, except for a sore throat. Sniffles, bronchial congestion, uh, you know, whatever that disease is called nowadays. Don't know. Don't, haven't seen a doctor. Just lots of Kleenex, plenty of fluids, uh, and watch horror movies. You know, how you do it. How was jury duty? Ah, fantastic. I, uh, ironically enough, I didn't have to go to a court case, but my friend who also had jury duty that week down in Riverside had to go in on Wednesday for a murder trial. And luckily the guy pleaded guilty or they would have been there for a month. Now you had forgotten to call in on the last day. Did that cause any difficulties? Yeah. No, they, they let you uh, call in right up until the hour before you have to be there sort of thing. So, uh, I, did you ever I, even have to go into the building this week? No. Yeah. No. They said, we don't need you, which is exactly why the guy said, pick the, pick the week of Christmas. That's really slow here around the courthouse. And so it was uh, the perfect plan, frankly, because then at the end of the week, they said, you have completed your duty. Uh, we, you will not hear from us for 12 months or more. That's the irony is I don't think they would have let you serve on the jury being sick. Well, that's probably a thing. I, I mean, mean, so you got <laughs> to fulfill your jury duty by not needing to be called in. But if you had been that's called right. in, they would have sent you home and said you need to book another week at uh, some other time. Because some other time. Yeah. So that's right. You dodged, really... you dodged a double bullet. That's a double bullet dodge. I guess we should say that uh, from just outside the nation's capital, alongside the Capitol Crescent Trail, I am Phil Lairness, and from high atop the historic core of downtown Los Angeles, inside the Art Deco masterpiece Ah, that is the Eastern Columbia building. Outside outside the Art Deco. I wonder. Whose volume levels are varying widely. I can't can't chase him fast enough on this mixer board. (laughs) That is Dean Haglund. And this is your Chill Pack Hollywood Hour. And now. (laughs) 
your Showpack Hollywood Hour with Dean Haglund and Phil Lairness. Season 3, episode 47. Uh, we hope this certainly finds all of you enjoying a healthy and jury duty free holiday season. Right. Uh, uh, it is Boxing Day as we come right. to you. It's St. Stephen's Day. It's the final day of Hanukkah. Uh, it's also, of course, just the second day of Christmas. And as you know, uh, Dean, uh, with each passing year, it's the 12 days of Christmas that matter more to me than uh, the the industrialized North, i.e. Uh, U.S. commercialized uh, Christmas season. Right. Yeah. Right. You give gifts all the way to 11 Lords of Leaping and 12 Pipers no, Piping. You, you keep oh. misunderstanding this year <laughs> after year. So the idea is you open you have the Christmas celebration on 12th night because that's when the gifts were delivered. Ah. The, the reason behind the 12 days of Christmas, uh, I'll do this one more time for you, but I'll, but I'll augment it. Uh, don't you oh, know? Thank you. Um, is that the Christ child was born, right? And there was the star in the sky and the word went out and the Weissman, they, uh, they started their journey. And they reached uh, the baby Jesus on the twelfth day. So it took the, twelve days across the desert. So that, so that is why it's the epiphany, don't you know? Oh. And uh, anyway, but here's the thing about the twelve days of Christmas: the song, the song that you keep thinking that this is all about. All of those symbols, the number and the symbol themselves, all have biblical significance. What? Come on. Since we don't even know what the heck we're going to be doing next week, maybe I will. uh, I'll just do that. Let's just plow ahead. So you are on the roof, sick as hell, uh, with planes flying overhead. Yeah, in a T-shirt and bare feet, looking at a pool and a hot tub, because unlike the rest of America, it's nice and warm here. Oh, boy. Yeah. You know, I'm not used to the cold, as you know, having been born and raised on the, the West Coast. And I'm soft. Yeah. We know, we know that. But uh, we know. Th- but what I don't think anybody could have been prepared for. Could I have prepared better? Like by bringing, you know, long underwear? Absolutely. How about gloves? That might have been smart. More than one sweater? Yes. So I could have done a better job packing. I packed all our podcast stuff. But I, Good. but I, I did not pack uh, clothes for cold weather. Uh, all that said, I could have been the best packer in the world, and I still think there's fundamentally something wrong with it being fifty degrees at midnight, uh, which was much warmer than it would be at midday the next day. <laughs> that as the sun rose, it kept getting colder and colder and colder. Right. Uh, And then it only got warmer when the sun went down. Now, that's some weird stuff. (laughs) That's called a cyclone bomb. That's where the cold pressure just, uh, or no, high, low pressure just dumps cold air into your lap. You know that I live for the pressure. (laughs) You, You work so well under it. So why not? I I don't want to be complaining about the cold or the weather or anything like that uh, because it's 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 probably boring. Christmas. But also everybody's everybody's doing it. Uh, it just was 
it was stunning. But I will say two things. I uh, have enjoyed going out in minus one and going uh, for a long hike. That actually was. And as I had learned before on my honeymoon, February, at the beginning of this year, uh, oh, my goodness, traveling with a COVID mask with one of those N95s or KN95s is so smart. Yeah. Beyond just right. the illness factor, there is no better apparatus for keeping your face warm, ah. which is one of the keys to feeling warm. That's right. And and also, as I learned, because, you know, when we would go to these national parks and avail ourselves of some of these uh, porta johns, uh, having a mask that blocks out a lot of the smells, also a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, but anyway, so I travel everywhere with the mask, of course, and it has really come in handy uh, as a cold weather apparatus. So that's your uh, advice from Uncle Phil. And, Fantastic. Uh, so I did enjoy that. But the other thing that has been so much fun, uh, as you know, is we we traveled with Fuzz this time. Fuzz took her first ever airline flight. Uh-huh. And uh, she's been loving things here in Bethesda. And every other day, I have taken her out for a walk in the woods. What? On her harness, on her leash, she's led me for a walk through the woods. And, I mean, this has been in some, you know, I, I made sure that it was at least 20 degrees outside when I would right. do this. But sub-freezing, which is not weather, again, yeah. that Fuzz knows. Fuzz was born in Las Vegas in the middle of summer. This is what she's right. used to. She's used to a dry heat. Uh, and uh, darn if she doesn't she doesn't love it. Sure, she she gets she gets cold and lets me know. Okay, we're done out here. And then I bring right. her in and warm her up. But boy, the uh, the exercise, the being immersed in nature, and the bracing cold is all very good for her. And dare I say, it's all good for me as well. Hey, what a champ <laughs> she was though, uh, flying. Um, and, and not just flying. I mean, she loves cars, as you know, she's always gone on road trips uh, with us. So she did great on the car ride to the airport and then, uh, going through the airport. Uh, you know, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of stimulation. I'm not sure. I'm not sure she loved being in the main concourse with all the activity, having to stay in her bag. I'm not sure she loved that. But uh, getting pulled out of the bag to go through TSA, because, you know, I had to hold her. They have to run the bag through the x-ray. And uh, so she just perched up on my shoulder and went through TSA and uh, made friends with everybody there. In fact, if, if you wanted to bring some sort of contraband you are not supposed to, onto a plane, Uh, I would suggest to you, you lie in wait until someone is going to go through TSA with a cute cat, because (laughs) that is the time you can probably make a break for it without anyone noticing. Wow. Virtually every employee needed to come over and make friends with Fuzz. That's that's, popular. Yeah. What a charmer Fuzz was. Yeah. Charmer. Yeah. So that's a good story of a cat. Yeah. So she did great. I mean, never even meowed on the uh, flight. There were other cats. There were dogs. Uh, I, I did not appreciate the the flight attendant as soon as we're on uh, saying to me as I walk past, well, now you better, uh, you know, keep uh, that case, um, you know, zipped up 
because there are other animals. We don't want a problem. And there are people with allergies. And I, at that point, the attitude was so much (laughs) that I just had to say, oh, no, we don't have to worry about that. And she said, no. I said, no, because don't you remember, you have the filtration systems on these planes that filter out every Uh, particle uh, that uh, could uh, cause uh, us any harm whatsoever. uh, Right? uh, That's why it's safe to fly during COVID. <laughs> and, That's what you, and there was nothing else she could say at that point. Yeah. I, um but uh I and but then I did resist saying anything when far from it being my cat having a problem. Uh it was the child in front of us who was projectile vomiting for a good solid 20 oh, no. minutes. Um Oh my god. Yeah. I, I wanted to say, see, this is why you keep the child's case zipped up. But um, but I said nothing because she had to, you know, she had to clean it all. Yeah, with it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, anyway, did I mention how grateful uh, I was to have a mask in those moments, the moments of projectile vomiting? Fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah that's a hellish flight, actually. So, uh, but Fuzz loved it. Fuzz was fine. Fuzz, uh, uh-huh. Fuzz did great. You know what Fuzz did not do? And, and I was worried because her first uh, experience with the cold was going to be when we come out of uh, Reagan National because we arrive at right. night. And I suddenly realized, wow, as we're waiting for a cab, you know, there's the, the taxi blast. stand line. Yeah. And she might not be used to this. So I pulled off my my scarf and I wrapped it around her. But uh, oh, indeed, oh. there was no weight at all oh. for the cab. So it, it, it was just she got she got coddled for no reason. But uh, this is what I would suggest for anybody traveling with their cats, even if their cats are expert travelers, even if like a Fuzz Aldrin, they love being in a car, uh, perhaps rethink the idea of a, of, of a cab. Um, cab drivers, what? look, even I get claustrophobic and sometimes nauseous in the back of a taxi cab. Right. And uh, poor little Fuzz Aldrin had had enough pretty much around the time when the cab driver decided to make a U-turn in the one-way Westmoreland uh, traffic circle. Uh, uh, Somewhere between then and when the cab driver decided, hey, if there is a cul-de-sac anywhere in your neighborhood, I'm going to find it. (laughs) A dead-end cul-de-sac, and I'm going to speed around it trying to get you to uh, the place because I don't know how to use my navigation app. Um, Yeah, Fuzz had had enough, and so finally by the time she arrived... Uh, safely here. The first thing she did was spit up all over the the lovely scarf I had wrapped her in. Uh, But I blame that not on fuzz or on travel. I blame it on that cab ride. I would too. Yeah. yeah. That was a bridge too far for Fuzz Aldrin. Yeah. (laughs) Hilarious. When do you you drive back uh, across country? Well, it'll be in about uh, I'm going to say three days. We're looking at the long-term weather apps to figure out the best way to thread the needle through the Rocky Mountains so that we are on the 70, which is a beautiful drive through Vail and uh, many other places. The uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower Tunnel is always a thrill. And, uh, uh, of course, it's going to be uphill from Utah to Denver since Denver's the Mile High City. And uh, that means we're going to be stopping for gas more and there'll be a slippier Slippier going up. Isn't it slippier? Slippier. Yeah, sir. Slippy. It's awfully slippy. As opposed to just, you know, 
sliding downhill, which is what skiing is. So we're uh, we're doing and, the opposite. And of aging, skiing. and aging, aging is also <laughs> that downhill. Oh uh, yeah. So uh, yeah. So we got to basically eat all the leftovers and uh, pack the house up here and uh, close it down and get back to Michigan. Son of a gut in three days. So so sick as you were, how was the uh, holiday festivities there? Oh, fantastic. We uh, cooked a turkey, don't you know? Uh, and we ate, uh, here's the plan, big uh, Christmas dinner on Christmas Eve. That way we have more days to do, uh, uh, you know, leftovers. So uh, we uh, had opened gifts on Christmas Day, and then everybody piled in to the car and drove to Long Beach, where... Uh, because it was in the high 80s, every dog in America was running free on the beach and playing with other dogs and chasing balls, running into the ocean. How fun. So we did that till everybody was exhausted, grabbed an ice cream from the ice cream truck, and went back downtown. Sorry, here comes the uh, uh, Qantas airline out of Melbourne. It's coming in for landing. <laughs> Are you actually moonlighting as an air traffic controller? <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, some of the volunteer service of the Eastern Columbia residents. When you pull top, you can just help the uh, pilots find the runway, the correct runway, to get them over to the tower. That's uh, just a nicety of the house. Well, you said that you've been watching horror films. I mean, is there anything that you want to report on that you've seen, especially uh, maybe anything current or recent? Yeah, or? Uh, well, a little something my niece had already seen and uh put me wise to it a little something called x by ty west have you heard of this thing of course i've heard of it yes have you seen it no no well i think you above all people will love it because the cinematography the uh this uh, elliot rocket fella he's quite something on uh uh doing a a buy it's a period piece right set in 79 about a uh group of inexperienced porn filmmakers renting a bunkhouse on a Texas farm. Suddenly, the elderly uh, landlords don't take it kindly to them, and boy, oh boy, uh, things take off in a direction. So uh, uh, this was really innovative because it was a lot of the tension that you have in a horror movie is also the tension you have in a porn film. For instance, my car just broke down. Well, won't you come in and have an orange juice? Uh, I would like that very much. And then, uh, you know, they, they cut back and forth between the porn they're making and the, uh, uh, the tension and the fear rising amongst the actors as they interact with the elderly couple. And they, and they go between a 16-9 format to a 1970s 4-3 uh, format uh, uh, with a filter on it. So it looks like old vintage porn but but the way they cut it back and forth pretty ingenious and uh so this is fascinating to me because uh you know i i immerse myself at this time of year in trying to see everything on the metacritic consensus list right because not because i think those are necessarily going to be the 30 best films of the year sometimes those films end up on my worst list but i do think that if i watch all 30 i will have a fairly holistic view of the landscape of cinema for that year and right. uh, so X is not on that list, which is why uh, it, it probably would not turn up in my queue for some time because I'm so busy doing my homework. 
Right. But a film that is making a lot of critics' lists is a horror film from Ty West, uh, the maker of X, also starring Mia Goth, who stars in X, called Pearl. Right. And it's the prequel prequel. that that, that came out the same darn year. So one wonders, therefore, um, in order to appreciate Pearl, might I not have to watch X first? I think you do, actually, because here, I mean, the prequel is about how that elderly couple uh, originally uh, were as was when they were young. And it's shot at the same farmhouse that they've had all their life. So it's going to be a trilogy. It and is. there's a one that goes after. Because I always wonder about that, too. All of these slasher movies, well, there's so much trauma. How do you live the rest of your life after going to the woods that time and then the knife-wielding crazy person that you managed to kill what you just go back to your day job at the at the office and not think about that terrible weekend at the lake good lord i've been in therapy for years (laughs) well okay now you've got me intrigued i probably should but i i of course would have to watch uh x so uh i mean i mean i would have to watch the the pearl uh, to be a completist on these lists, so then I guess right. I should watch X beforehand. I mean, I have almost pulled the trigger, but I'm glad you told me about this because I wasn't quite clear on, yeah, the relationship between the two. Uh, and, and one of the reasons, of course, as you know, is because as you described the plot of X, you really described my early days in filmmaking. <laughs> well, you were that inexperienced porn master. Yes. I was the, no, I was the I was the guy whose car broke down. Um, <laughs> uh, so anyway, wow, wow, wow! I didn't know that. I will not look for those movies. I have a, a few films to to report on, but I uh, but I did want to drop in on this Metacritic list because it is interesting to me how early consensus starts to form. And, uh, you know, I had predicted uh, a month and a half, two months ago, that there would be three films around which great consensus would be built. One was Tar with Kate Blanchett, uh, another Banshees of Inna Sharon, the the dark comedy from uh, Martin McDonough, um, and uh, Sarah Pauly's Women Talking. Women Talking. Yeah. And uh, I got two of the three. Right. Uh, both Tar and Banshees of Inna Sharon are really cementing their places there in the top three on the Metacritic. But uh, Women Talking uh, apparently is a little bit of more of a hit and miss affair with people. How so? Well, I mean, it's it's ending up on a lot of lists, but it's going to end up somewhere, you know, in the in around 20 for the year in terms of critical consensus. And that sort of surprised me. I thought it was a a no-brainer. And the one that if you had told me one of these three is actually going to end up a bit lower, I would think maybe it was Tar. I would think maybe Tar was a bit of a, a challenge. For people. Uh-oh. So anyway, but I did, but I did get two of the three, and uh, sure enough, actually at the top of the uh, consensus, uh, there really is a battle for overall number one between Tar and Everything Everywhere All at Once. Oh, interesting! And because I love that movie, and Banshees of Inisherin is a really solid cemented third place for the year. 
Um, and and the reason for that is Banshees of Inisherin doesn't seem to be many people's number one, but it seems to be yeah. a lot of people's number two, number three, number four, etc. Right. Um, uh, the uh, everything everywhere all at once does seem to be not everyone's cup of tea. It's not Which... on nearly as many lists overall as Tar and Banshees of Inisherin, but. It has the highest percentage of first place votes of any movie. Ah, fascinating. Which, because if you love that, you love that movie. Right. Though, as you know, that also means, and I don't think either of us would expect that movie would really have a best picture in its future. I do think a best picture nomination is starting to look like a foregone conclusion now. Right. But for a variety of reasons, although it's changed, we have seen genre work start to be rewarded. Uh, right. But I, I, I don't think either of us would really f- be surprised if, if a film like that, even if it ends up the consensus number one, doesn't win best picture because we can understand why it's going to leave uh, some viewers confused and left behind. Right. And... Uh, and and why I bring up this whole thing about the number one votes versus the number two and number three, as we know, a few years back, the Academy went to that ranked ballot system. Right. So it really does matter not so much how many first place votes you get. It's actually how few last place votes you get. Right. Um, uh, so you, you don't suck is is more yeah, not the, you're the best the movie you that most suck. doesn't suck which might explain green book right which was not <laughs> which is a movie i enjoyed i don't i don't you know all the backlash against it notwithstanding that's a movie i enjoyed um yeah but that was not a film in the critical consensus top 20 right and but it also was uh until we learned maybe a little bit about the way they changed historical things, depending on anyone's feeling about it. There was nothing overtly, if you came to it fresh, there was nothing overtly to make you hate it. Sir, I'm detecting a subspace message. I'll put it on speakers. Subspace, dare to wander. He said, I'll love you till I die. told him you'll forget in time interesting the film tying with tar for second in terms of the overall number one votes is uh, an a24 film called after sun that i have yet to to catch uh, but, so i'm looking forward to that but but rounding out the 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 top 11 it's very clear that these 11 will be your top 10 but at the bottom, uh, uh, at the bottom, they'll shake out a little bit. There is a real drop off between eleven and twelve. Uh, anyway, number four right now, as I mentioned, is After Sun. Number five is Nope. Uh, oh yeah. Number six is Top Gun Maverick with a considerable amount of number one votes. Number seven is The Fablemans, and here is a film that I expect uh, would have a lot of last place votes. But uh, uh, if we do a worst films of the year list. Uh, number eight is uh, a film, Decision to Leave, that I'm really looking forward to watching. Uh, this? I've never heard of this. Oh, but you this. love this filmmaker. This is uh, Park Chan-wook. Oh, is, yeah. Is, is the filmmaker who did uh, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance and uh, The Handmaiden. Old Boy, also? 
Am I? Am I? Yeah. Isn't he old boy? Yeah, that's I think you're right. Yeah. That's so, what I'm thinking. So it's his new. Uh, yeah, it's his new film. It's about a detective investigating a man's death in the mountains. Ends up meeting and developing feelings for the dead man's mysterious wife. Wow. Yeah. Uh, number nine, a film that is available on Netflix. I don't oh. know how to pronounce this. It's three capital letter R's, not an abbreviation, not R period, R period, R period. It's R, R, R. It's, it's a Bollywood film. It's a Hindi oh. film. It's like an epic action uh, pastiche to a tale of two legendary revolutionaries and their journey far away from home. After their journey, they return home to start fighting back against British colonialists in the 1920s. Are you sure we're talking the top 10? Yeah. This is amazing. And it's okay. and it's, the, it's in Hindi and it's there on the, uh, or it's uh, Telugu uh, language, I'm sorry. Uh, right. and, it's, uh, and it's there uh, available uh, for viewing on Netflix. Now that's something I might watch. Yeah. See? Fantastic. Okay. Um, okay. Number 10 right now is EO, which we talked about, the uh, don- donkey point of view movie. And number 11, very close, just a half point behind the top 10, uh, the first documentary uh, to be mentioned, all, all the beauty and the bloodshed from Laura Poitras, who won, I think, the Oscar for Citizen Four. This is actually a documentary about an artist so i was uh interested in, in whether you knew this person's work it um combines rare footage and intermittent interviews uh and and hopefully in the process providing insight into the life and work of renowned photographer and activist nan golden oh yeah nan golden uh, uh yeah an activist did i think a lot of the uh, photography of uh not poverty, but uh, underclass workers, uh, as it were, slaving away uh, for you know no no wages. Uh, so I have been watching uh, some movies. Uh, I'll probably go in uh, reverse order here uh, chronologically. Most recently, I availed myself of a film that's getting a lot of love in the top thirty. Uh, may end up in the top twenty. It's uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Oh yeah. Now I started watching this, and I stopped watching it because then I was going to watch the making of it. Uh, what should I do? You know, honestly, I'm a Del Toro fan. Yeah, um, I've interestingly heard it in, that there's the old Del Toro and the current Del Toro, and. Oh. And I'm thinking the current Del Toro is what? The Del Toro of uh, Shape of Water onward. And yeah. the old Del Toro is the one who did Kronos and the Devil's Backbone and even Pan's Labyrinth, right? right. Um, who made some, some quasi-crowd-pleasing English language films, yeah. but beautiful works of art in his own language. Visual, yeah, the visual language unto himself. Uh, you know, magical realism, the whole thing. And uh, Shape of Water, here's a movie I watched, and about which I have nothing else to say. I mean, <laughs> I, because th- the moment you said, I didn't know whether to watch, keep watching or watch the making of, I bet the making of Shape of Water would be fascinating. Yeah. But right? I was peculiarly unmoved 
And didn't that win Best Picture? I mean, that was an yeah. eye-opener. There's a genre film. And, uh, and although, as I said, I think it started its its Oscar campaign the moment he had that LACMA exhibit about yeah. his art and career. And so, you know, every, every Academy yeah, member yeah. had gone through the mind of Guillermo del Toro, and they came out saying, boy, I think he deserves an Oscar someday. Uh, but why do you say that uh, you turned it off? And because let me just say this: if if it were not for me wanting to be a completist with the Metacritic list, I would have stopped watching. Ah. Um, so why did you feel you wanted to go to the making of instead? Well, because uh, I thought. Oh, hey, it's uh, stop motion. Oh no, it's uh, it's confu- it's super four K CGI. Oh no, it's uh, it's claymation uh, done without clay or other materials. Oh, uh, I'm taking out of the story. What what's the cricket talking about? Uh, oh, you know, this has already gone on how long, and I'm not even with the cricket yet. Pinocchio is not even, you know, begun a journey. What the heck? So then I'm like, okay, well, one of two things. I either see how this thing is made and then really enjoy the fascinating details of that without being uh, bamboozled by a myriad of uh, computer and and non-computer techniques, or I uh, just watch the story, but I've already... I already didn't like how the story was deconstructed and reassembled. So it, it is so episodic. It is so vignette yeah, based. That, it almost makes it almost begs for being a series. Uh, you know, with each short episode being one of these vignettes, uh, the Pinocchio series, which is, I gather, how the book uh, was. Uh, and he's apparently was. very faithful to the, the 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 book and inspired by the drawings in a republication of the book. Um, I both loved and didn't like, uh, you know, his last movie, the the remake uh, of the, the carnival movie, the Tyrone Power carnival movie, which is escaping me, the name of which is escaping me. The uh, Alley. Um, Nightmare Alley. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah. And uh, I really do have great affection for that movie while not thinking that all of it works. Though the same could be said of the original film as well. Um, right. But uh, I I draw that comparison here, even though this is an animated film and he's been working on it longer. In that, what what recommends this movie is there is no doubt in every moment you feel Guillermo del Toro's emotional connection to this material and these characters. This matters to him. And, yeah. and that's what recommends it. Right. What, uh, yeah. what I would say, if you uh, uh, don't like it, one of the reasons you don't like it <laughs> is because the nature of performers in del Toro's work is really important, I'm realizing, in that they can embody surprising human touches 
And Del Toro oh. himself is an individual who is most decidedly not in his body. I don't know if anyone's ever seen him or watched him and, or had the good uh, good fortune to enjoy uh, intimate, uh, private, uh, you know, conversations, post-screening with him. A wonderful right. uh, experience. But decidedly someone who's not in his body. And okay. uh, so, not shockingly, there is nothing off point, nothing unexpected, nothing um, revelatory of a surprising humanity that any of these characters are expressing physically. They are expressing Correct. physically everything that their puppet master, Guillermo del Toro, wants them to say. Interesting, which is ironic because it is a story of a piece of wood wanting to be a real boy, be in human form. And so you... And, you, the, and I think the same thing could be said about the film. It really wants to be a real film. It wants to be yeah. a human expression instead. You're so aware of the manipulation and the, and, and, and the puppetry of it. Now, yeah. in terms of the animation and the different approaches and techniques... Uh, Del Toro is fascinating, right? Visually, he's always been fascinating because yeah. he he makes these beautiful depictions of such ugliness, and uh, and often, as with so many great filmmakers, going back to the Frankenstein for crying out loud, um, the ugliest thing in it turns out to be the where the real beauty lies. Right. And so often the beautiful are evil and ugly or even demented, as in the case of Nightmare Alley. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. But here, everything's actually ugly. Everything. It's visually ugly. The behavior is ugly. And again, absent that human component of embodiment, it it just takes on such an almost, well, I'm going to use this word again, demented feel yeah. throughout the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I'm feeling. Yeah, not, yeah, a dis, a demented and warped, right? There's like a warping even of the shape of the wooden doll is warped as it were. You know, even not Jiminy, Sebastian J. Cricket, right? I enjoy yeah. listening to Ewan McGregor's voice. There is a beauty yeah. in that. But, God, that thing is ugly. And, <laughs> a... and I would love if it weren't, or I would love if that ugliness was working against beauty, was pressing against beauty, and then you get back to that Del Toro place of Oh, the ugly, the monstrous is where right. the real beauty lies. But right. all the humans are viscerally ugly in this. Everything is ugly. Yeah. There is nowhere to lay your eye. So th the revelation of beauty within the ugliness, well, there's beauty within, I guess, some ugliness. But just take your pick what ugliness you want to look for beauty in. Right. You know, Pinocchio, the original, uh, which everybody refers to, you know, Disney masterpiece. It may be Disney's masterpiece. Also, not right. a hit. And yeah. um, one of the reasons was because he was 
not messing around with his allegory uh, of, you know, warnings about fascism. Right. Here, there's no allegory. Here, it is nail, meat hammer, hammer's about to hit you on the head. <laughs> he's always, though, but he, he's got fascism uh, commentary throughout all a lot of his movies, doesn't he? So that's not new. No, but, okay. It's ham-fisted. It's ham-fisted, yeah. Yeah. And speaking of ham-fisted, that, they made me watch Love Actually, which I've never seen in my life. How is that a popular Christmas movie? Good Lord. Uh, three words. Hugh Grant's Dance. <laughs> no, look. Even, that's unbelievable. No, it is. It is. It is a. T- it's every year. I'm like ready for it, and then it's it's tough sledding. I mean, there's there are great moments. There's no question about it. I mean, there there are some great scenes. There are some great things worthy of exploration, and then there's other things that are so artificial and and yeah, and it's, it's that it that it almost becomes distasteful that they coexist. Uh, these, yeah. these scenes, but uh, yeah, I, I'm going to uh, just throw out a couple of things that are wait. wonderful. Uh, Emma Thompson, when she realizes that the gift she thought she was getting is not the gift she's getting, and she understands right. what that means. The work right. that Emma Thompson does, and that scene and that intimacy we share with her, and the yeah. brave face she puts on in the aftermath of it with her family. Right. Um, yeah. Well, Brilliant. couldn't couldn't that be out of a, like a great and important movie? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was really thinking. And yet, you know, for all of that greatness, that story unresolved. There's no, you know, they don't come to terms. She just sucks it up and carries on. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's that's not a resolution to that story at all. Uh, meanwhile, I find the Laura Linney, and you know I'm not a Laura Linney fan, but I find that storyline with the brother that has the problems, I find it so um, exploitative. Like, what, what, this yeah. is just being shoehorned in as a little short, using someone's ailment as just a heart-tugging manipulation. Yeah. Um, now... What was, on the other hand, uh, another another doff of the cap before I wag the finger, the <laughs> genuinely touching father-son relationship yeah, between Liam Neeson and his stepson. Yeah. Uh, and just advice and, and thoughtfulness and, you know. And, and I feel uh, like a lot of that came from natural rapport between – that very young performer and, and Liam Neeson. Yeah. And that Liam Neeson was really extending himself to that actor, but making it also warm and so relaxed. It's one of, I think is, I couldn't believe if, that's the same Liam Neeson, you know, in fact, who's, could, uh, could, could we say that the little boy's story is the one thing from beginning to end that actually works in the film? Yeah. Uh, yeah, even as cheesy as it is, and yeah, run through TSA security like that doesn't shut down an airport. The, the, and and they do everything right. The payoff of uh oh man, Rowan Atkinson's cameo. Yeah, cameo. The way <laughs> the way it pays off in the airport is yeah. uh, wonderful. Um, yeah. 
the and the little girl, the casting of the little girl, who uh, now a grown woman came and performed at the Breakfast Club, performed that number at the Breakfast Club last. Oh, year. you're kidding! Um, oh, that's cool. The the wonderful uh, writer and author and comic Martin Olson. That's that's uh, that's his daughter, and uh, and anyway, but but her performance on stage, yeah, it's perfect. You totally understand why the little boy feels the way that he does. And yeah. yeah, is it is it cheesy? It absolutely would be were it not for the fact that you believe this little boy. And once yeah. it's a, how the little boy sees the world, well, then, yeah, all these feelings are bigger than life and not cheesy, therefore, anymore, because right. it, it, it's a boy experiencing these things and not only a boy experiencing these things, but a boy who's sharing life with his widowed father as they both deal with grief. That's fine. That all works. Works great. And and it offends me, therefore, when I then have to be shunted off into that Kira Knightley uh, married to Chiwetel Ejiofor has ever a great actor been more underutilized in anything than Chiwetel Ejiofor. Um, <laughs> and the, the best man and that whole thing with the oh, car yeah. outside the door. Oh, the wedding. The wedding scene makes me wish movies had never been made, invented. The horn players come up and and perform a surprise number. It's it's so depressing. It's so depressing. But uh, I come back to Exhibit A, Hugh Grant's dance. Uh, It may not be art, but it is peculiarly satisfying. (laughs) Well, uh... Unbelievable, though. There's no prime minister that would just happily dance through the, uh, you know, you know the security he, cameras everywhere. The reason it's funny, the reason it works is that he hated doing it and he didn't want to do it. Uh, he kept finding reasons not to do it. And finally, it was the last thing that they filmed. And uh, as he said, his major contribution to it was demanding that if he did it, someone has to catch him doing it. Uh, and so well, that, that was a Hugh Grant uh, suggestion. That's you're how, kidding. That's how it has to end. Yeah. Otherwise, it would have just ended with him dancing happily and then going into the office or something. By the way, if you have never seen the final dance in uh, Dirty Dancing uh, being set to the, the Muppet show theme, uh, you need to avail yourself of that. <laughs> Okay, let's pause the show. I got to watch that right now. <laughs> I, uh, in addition to uh, Pinocchio, uh, have availed myself of, of three other recent releases. One in theaters. It's made a few top 10 lists. It's nowhere near the top 30, but you know I'd been looking forward to it. Mark Mylod's The Menu, starring Ray Fong. Oh, yes. And Anya Taylor-Joy, this is a, this is a really nice piece of work at, at every level um, but my God, again, Ray Fine, international treasure, and the way he commits emotionally to the most ludicrous of characters and situations, and therefore makes them uh, surprisingly touching or uh, undeservedly sometimes funny, or in this case, really genuinely scary. Um, it, it's just, it's the way he commits emotionally. And you know, and I, I, I almost wish that Ray Fine uh, was Ray Fine as we know him back when they were making the Larry Sanders show, and we could have seen him on one of those. 
because I can only oh. imagine the fun Gary Shandling would have had putting Ray Fine through some paces on that show. Oh, that would have been fantastic. Um, uh, but the, the tell thing, me, is I, the fear factor. How how scary is the menu? Oh, it isn't. It isn't. Um, oh. I, I mean, there are okay, some great. moments. There are some. There are some moments, and it's and there are some moments of gore, though very few. Um, but I think the moments that are scary, at least for me, the moments that are scary were also the moments that for me were the funniest. Ah. But I will tell you something that this movie did that I'm so grateful for because Anya Taylor-Joy has become a bit of an it girl, of course. She's in a lot of movies and very talented. Yeah. But this is the first movie to give us and to do what uh, Queen's Gambit uh, understood so well. Um, her her work in Queen's Gambit is so important because everybody loved that series, even though yeah. most of the people who loved it don't play chess or understand chess, certainly don't understand it at the level <laughs> of being chess masters. And yet right. the drama and suspense and payoffs and, and excitement of those scenes were tantamount to the boxing scenes in Rocky. <laughs> yeah, and the reason true. they were was because she was expert at letting us in silently into her thought process. We understood watching her, the trap she was in, the pressure right. she was under. And we understood the moment that she figured out a way to, to overcome it. And when it worked, ah. we were so happy. She did that as a performer. And this is the first thing I've seen her do since then where the filmmaker understands what a valuable skill and asset they have with Anya Taylor-Joy being able to pull that off. And she is allowed to do that in the, the climactic sequence of this film, the moment she figures out what to do before she does it is so thrilling because right. you 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 can tell what's going on in her mind without having to hear the words that's amazing and that's uh, known as subtext quite often but it's also uh, requires faith on the director and the cinematographer just to hold steady on your actor and let that come across without the fear of like, oh, oh my God, nothing's happening. We can't just hold for, you know, 40 seconds on our face. We well, got to cut to this due to that. I mean, you see that so often. Uh, uh, an, an example would be having the faith to stay on the detective's face as the detective figures it out and not need to cut away to sudden flashes on the clues that they've seen as they yeah, put right. them together in their mind. Yeah. Flashback to this. Yeah. Flashback to this. <gasps> I realize right. who did it. <laughs> yeah, right. I know. No, let, so the, let the audience know uh, by the actor sharing that intimacy. But that's a skill set that is, uh, I think, very rare. And her ability to let us in like that and to convey that. As I've said, doing an imitation of someone thinking is rare enough. Doing a believable <laughs> imitation of that, yeah, um, and uh, and she lets us in on stuff that we could only dream we were capable of doing, and yet we feel we're in it with her. 
amazing. I also saw The Bullet Train, which I know that you enjoyed. Uh, I did enjoy that. But you know my one thing. Uh, Brad Pitt sells that movie, and Brad Pitt ruins that movie. It's It should have been someone nebbish, uh, someone who's, you know, and uh, I don't know who the actor is, but he was way too cool. You knew he was going to come out at the end. Whereas if it was a guy who was with way over his head, way funnier movie. Well, it is interesting that he's a last minute replacement, which is a wonderful payoff, but a yeah. last minute replacement uh, on the train for someone else who's supposed to do the job. And I, and I think it's so telling that the actor who in a one second cameo is revealed to be the guy that he replaced is Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Is that great? Because in speaking to one of my nephews, uh, Lily's godson, I may be, I loved Spirited, but I'm willing to say I'm at the point where I'm done with Ryan Reynolds until he actually yeah. plays a character. Stop. Right. He, you know, he, he, talented actor who kind of was spinning his wheels, not getting anywhere. Yeah. And then he started playing the same, uh, he, he started playing all scenes the same way after that. It's yeah, it's, kind of a loose, snarky, uh, almost dead Chevy cool Chase, sh- almost Chevy yeah. Chase of yeah, you know yeah. a contemporary modern Chevy Chase, and um, he shows up in the cameo playing that, and damn if Brad Pitt almost isn't playing the whole movie the way Ryan Reynolds would. Well, yeah, it's that careless tossaway um, thing, but it's but by being so carefree, there's no stakes involved. It, it's all written in there for somebody completely different to play it. And, you know, I knew he'd seen, you know, he screams it out. Why are you hurting me? Like all of that. He's saying it, but I'm, it's Brad Pitt. We are criticizing the most important reason why you should watch it because he is entertaining. He is, he is endlessly entertaining in it and it is fun. But your, your point is well made that you watch it to see this star turn by Brad Pitt. Yeah. If it hadn't been Brad Pitt or if it had been Brad Pitt playing it differently, you might have watched it because the movie was the star. But that's yeah. not going to happen I'm... this way. And and wh- where I get disappointed about it is when there are some actors who you go, ooh, I would like to see the world this character lives in. Michael Shannon... Th- showing up in the third act as the, as the villain, that was d- d- genius. I thought that yeah. casting. I used to think Michael Shannon might just be uh, the best actor working, um, and just oh. endlessly fascinating. Um, I still think his performance in Take Shelter might be the best lead performance of the last two decades. I loved him in Ninety Nine Homes, uh, so right. good. But but it had been a while since I felt like I got a Michael Shannon performance. But the combination of him turning up in this and that, uh, I think it's Showtime series, George and Tammy. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With Jessica Chastain, where we- they play the, the country music greats. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Michael Shannon's back. And, uh, and I'm so glad because there's nobody like him. There's certainly nobody yeah. better. Belated spoiler alert. Subspace. Dare to wonder. With everything you have on your plate, 
earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.